figuring out what's for our community church and why the community, because we don't want to be just a church. We want the community to know we are here for them. And we don't want, because you've heard me say this, this community doesn't need another church. But what they need is a group of people. And I believe this is the year things are going to start happening. Where when we walk out those doors, the church leaves the building. Come on. Church should not just be Sundays or Wednesdays. If we go to Walmart, the church should be going to Walmart. We go to work, the church is showing up at work. Why? Because we are the church. We are the church. Uh, if you don't know anything about uh, the founders, this is my mom and dad, Kenneth and Connie Goins. Yeah. Listen, two of the greatest people you would ever know. I'm telling you, my dad had the gift. I've not developed this gift yet, but he could bring you into his office and I mean, just lay into you and tell you the truth and you'd be wanting to hug his neck by the time, time you left. Because, time you left, because he, you knew what he was saying, he loved you. And that's why he was telling you some, the hard truth sometimes. My mama would just, she was a people person. She loved people so much at times it got on my nerves. Come on. So, but, uh, Kenneth and Connie going to start this church over 38 years ago. Our actual anniversary is March 23rd, uh, 1983. But with centuries, with Easter, it's hard to have a celebration then. So we picked today. Uh, this is the last day of our series, Origins, unless something happens. And God says, keep going. Then we'll do that. Uh, but here's the thing. The origin of this church didn't start 38 years ago. Started over 40 years ago when God began to plant this idea inside my dad and my mom of a community of believers for people that had either got given up on church, didn't like church, the people that were broken, the people that were used, the people that had been hurt, and they just needed a place where when they walked into a building looking a little different, people didn't look at them like, you don't belong. Are you hearing me? Because, come on, that's happened to even today. I, I could tell you this. I've never been mistaken for a pastor. <laughs> Not one time. In fact, I went to the hospital to visit a guy that had no deed on drugs. It's been about four years ago, I guess. And I go, go in to see him, and they weren't going to let me in. And I said, I'm his pastor. I rode down there on my bike, of course, had my leathers on. And, but that's neither here nor there. And, and so... They finally let me in, and the lady, he was in I, uh, ICU. But the lady never, the nurse, main nurse, stayed at the door and listened to every word I said to him. I said, I think she thought I was his dealer trying to come in and get him something. <laughs> but mom and dad wanted a place, thank you, Dad, wanted a place where anybody could walk in here on any given Sunday, any given church service, and they would feel loved and not rejected. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Uh, here, here's the thing about this. Mom and dad never had the goal of starting a church. In, in fact, uh, they, they had spent most of their uh, music, my lives being music, in music down at Sell Creek Church of God, youth pastors there also, and then at Graysville Church of God. Uh, we were a musical family. I talked about this last week. We traveled, evangelized uh, with our family and with some others we brought in. You might know us better, though, by our stage name, um, 
can't go into the spiritual explosion. I'm that good-looking kid in the red shirt there with a nice bow cut. But uh, just like them, Denise and I neither had the dream. It was never a dream to be pastors at a church. Then God began to move. And although I didn't realize it then, what we began to do in that process was begin to say, okay, God, I don't want to no longer live in my story. I want to be part of the grander story that you're writing. And Kelly, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, so here's the thing, though, man. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Just because that was our story for 20-plus years that God wrote as us as worship pastors, that, that didn't mean it was going to be our story the rest of our life. And we've, we've got, got to be, because a lot of times as followers of Jesus, especially in ministry, we get comfortable doing one thing, and, and, and we quit. Honestly, what I think people do is quit hearing from God. Because this is what God told me I was going to do. This is what he told me I was going to be. So this is it. And they quit listening when God been trying to get them to move to the next point. Man, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But I watched mom and dad wrestle with God and with different people. I watched them love people like crazy and then be hurt by some of those same people. Yet they kept loving them and showing them grace. Uh, their mission, their vision for the church has always been to glorify God, to, to reach out to the broken, the outsiders, those that seem like nobody else wanted, and to love them into a relationship with Jesus. My dad would always say this. He said, listen, God called us to catch the fish, not clean them. Because up to that point, the church has spent a whole lot of time trying to clean fish before we ever even caught them. We act surprised when a sinner acts like a sinner. They're sinners. That's what they do. They sin. Don't be surprised. Shouldn't throw you off guard. What should throw you off guard when it's you as a Christian aren't acting like a Christian, but rather acting like a sinner? Let's move on. That's not even my message. Um, thank you. There are days I think that uh, I like to think that mom and dad are looking down and they're so proud of what God is doing here with Denise and myself. And then there are days I wonder if they're looking down thinking, what are you thinking, Kelly? But here's what I know about them. They were risk takers. They were risk takers. They never fit into the mold of what others said about them or told them they should be like. And the only reason that we are celebrating 38 years here today as a church in the community is because mom and dad chose to abandon their story and take on God's story for their lives. Man, I'm going to tell you, I, I, next week will be a lot shorter message, I promise you. Well, I can't promise you. Ben's going to be preaching. He may just say, I'm going to... I'm just going to lay it all out there, everything I know. Uh, but but uh, here, here's the thing, guys. They were risk takers. We're risk takers. That's what I believe we've been called to take risks, not to be safe. I know there are people, man, you're all about safety, and we've trained a generation to be safety. Listen, when I, when I was a kid, I went out riding bike. I wasn't looking for my helmet, my pads, my knee pads, my mouthpiece, my guards. I just jumped on the bike and went riding, and we made ramps out of, car, out of wood and saw, I mean, that's what we did. And I'm all about safety. 
But I'm also like, man, maybe some of our kids need to realize what it is to take risk with their lives. To take a risk with their careers. Take a risk with God. But I, I, I honor mom and dad today. I, I need to hurry because I know we've got a lot going on today. I honor mom and dad today. And I honor those that were here from the very start. And Faye Rose is not here today. She, this is the first anniversary she's missed since the beginning of this church. And she came to me and said, her and uh, her daughters were going to a conference. We said, go, enjoy your family. But here's the thing that I'm, I'm kind of glad she's not here because we are planning a day to celebrate her life in the next few weeks. We're going to tell her family about it. Get them here. We're not going to tell her about it. And we are going to just honor this woman that has worked crazy. <laughs> Kelly? Aren't you afraid she's watching online? No, because I'm not even sure she knows how to get on, on our Facebook live feed. So I also want to honor and thank those that have allowed Denise and I to be your pastors over the past nine years this June. Um, thank you for becoming a part of what God is doing here. And my hope is that the culture of this house will get to a place where everyone that calls this place home you buy in. You buy in. And that means you take ownership of this place. And you don't, it's not just a place you attend on the weekends. It's not just a place you do out of, well, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. But it's a place where you say, man, I got to go get fed so that Monday through Saturday I can be the church. That's what I want. 38 years. 38 years. You know, think about anniversaries, they can be beautiful things. I mean, they can offer us opportunities to express gratitude about where we've been, uh, about the people that show up uh, at work uh, at work every week. They're a great opportunity to worship God for His faithfulness. Come on now. But another thing about anniversaries is they can be dangerous. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a business, a church. Why? Because anniversaries can cause us to focus more on the past than the future. Are you hearing me? A few years ago, Andy Stanley, I heard him say, make this statement here, and it stuck with me. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. That's true of marriage. That's true of a, of a business. That's true of your personal life. Uh, and it's true of a church. When your memories of what it used to be like, those exceed your dreams, the end is near. The end is near. Man, you know, when we spend all of our time thinking about remembering the good old days. Come on, everybody, you've been to funerals, haven't you? That person up there, by the end of it, you're wondering who they're talking about. Because they're not remembering the good old days of this person like they actually were. But we have, we have selective memory when it comes to the good old days. But when our memory, man... And we're all constantly living in the past of the good old days. It's like slow motion suicide. It's like watching something die in slow, slow motion. And the sad thing is there is that you don't even realize it until you're in the ground and they're throwing dirt on you. There's a deep pinker. He calls me every Sunday and prays with me. And he's asking me, Kelly, what you preach about? And I kind of give him a little rundown. And he said, you know, there's a saying in the yes, investment fund world that says this. You can't invest looking in the rear view mirror. 
can't invest looking in the rear mirror. Listen, don't get me wrong. And yes, I, for those wondering, I am going to read some Bible. Uh, if you're new here like this, guys, great stories, but no Bible. Um, I believe that celebrating the past is important. That's why we're here today. But living in the past will bring about slow death. I celebrate the past, where we come from, the leaders, mom and dad, those that made this place what it is today. But I believe, and I know that mom and dad would also, that the future belongs to those that honor the past but are also dreaming about what could be. In fact, I heard Irwin McManus say it like this, the future belongs to the bold. Those, in fact, I almost preached uh, a lot on that, that message, Ben, where he talks about future. We create our futures. People say, well, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. No, you have options. And this church, we have options about our future, guys. Let, let, let's move on. Hey, God, too, if you've got a Bible. Some of you are. Hey, well, he's not even going to read out the New Testament. He's going to go. Listen, I'm going to try to make this as short as I can, but hear me. I believe this is a, God for, a word from God for Watts Bar Church. I believe that. In fact, I struggled with this message, and I sent a, a, a rough draft to my brother Chris and then to Casey. I said, tell me, does this make sense? Am I being too hard? What is it? And, and, but I believe this is a word. Let me give you a little backstory for Haggai. In, in, five, in 539 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, conquered, he, he conquers Babylon, and, and then they, they begin, he be, goes into Babylon where all these exiled Jews are, and he begins to allow them to go home to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding a temple, the, the Solomon's temple, had, that had been destroyed and demolished. He says, yeah, go home. And so one group returns home. They complete the foundation, but then they get hit with opposition. They start doing the work of God, what God tells them to do, and then opposition hits. And a group of people in Ezra 4 tries to come in and infiltrate them. Says, hey, let us help you build. I mean, those, the enemy can't get you from the outside. He'll try to get you from the inside. But they try to get in, they went, when hey, God said, no, 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 no we, we don't need your help. We're good. Well, then that doesn't work, so they begin to bribe officials to work against the Jewish people, frustrate their plans. They begin making false accusations like this. If you allow them to continue rebuilding the temple, they'll, they'll quit paying taxes. They, they, they'll quit paying their tributes. And eventually your kingdom, uh, Xerxes, is going to suffer. And we don't want you, King Xerxes, to be dishonored because there's no money to make this place look nice. Well, they appeal to King Xerxes' weak spot, money. And so he... He ordered them to stop building immediately. They stopped working on the city walls, stopped working on the temple. It came to a standstill for 16 years. The city, the walls, the temple goes untouched. The children of God, here's what I'm convinced. During that time, the children of God settled into their new normal. Been hearing that a lot lately, haven't we? The new normal with their families, the new normal with their jobs, their schooling, their community, and things began to get pushed back. Things that were most important got pushed back on the back burner. Sound familiar? 
God's dreams, his plan and purpose for the people. The people they could be, should be, got pushed to the back burner. See, God's people, they knew something wasn't right. The children, they knew something wasn't right. That this way of life had just become so normal to them that they couldn't put their finger on what wasn't right. And that's my concern with what we're going through right now. And over the past, I've watched it. I've seen it. As people have got so used to the new normal, they know something's wrong, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Something's missing. So God sends the prophet Haggai, a man that's still connected to God, a man that's still connected to God's dreams, his visions, <clears throat> a man who refuses to settle for the new normal, a man who God had had God's dream for restored lives and restored relationship, a rebuilt temple. When I say temple, understand, house of God, they were, that, that word refers to an actual physical building. And it was a picture where God's people would mean. But eventually, uh, here's, you could say another word for that or a metaphor for that. The temple, the house of God would be church. The church. And so God says, hey, God, to remind the people who they were to remind them of the vision and what business is at hand. Why is it important? Because of this, if you're taking notes, vision leaks. Vision leaks. You can have vision, man. You can, but I'm going to tell you, it's leaking. If, and you, sometimes we have to constantly be reminded of what God told us, of what God said to us, of what God is doing. I, I'm talking about that. That's true for your life, your marriage, your relationships, and for this church. That vision leaks, and we have to constantly be, be reminded of what God is saying. Why? Because passion fades. Hey, come on. Discouragement comes on. You face adversity. Apathy uh, it begins to inch their way in. I mean, Paul knew this. That's why he, he, his, ment, his mentee, Timothy, his spiritual son, he tells him in 2 Timothy 1.6, when you feel the passion fading, when you're starting to get discouraged, stir up the gift. Because it's going to happen, Timothy. The prophet Haggai shows up. He begins to speak to the governor of Judah, a guy named Zerubbabel. He's telling him, hey, this is what God said about rebuilding the temple. And God doesn't sugarcoat his message to, to Zerubbabel. Haggai 1, here's what God says to him through Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, who's saying it? People are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the people through Haggai. Then why are you living in luxury houses while my house lies in ruins? I hear you saying, no, it's not time to go back to the normal. It's not time for us. But God says, well, it's funny because I hear you saying that, but then it's not stopping you from living this life over here. You're saying, oh, I'm scared, I'm worried. But uh, let me put it, this not even notes, but let me put it this way. You're saying, it's not time to go back to church, but you're going to Walmart, Dollywood. <laughs> Maybe I should have done this after Pastor Appreciation Day. Right? <laughs> God's house, he says, my house is lying in ruins. Remember that, that can be used as the church, us, his people. God says, you're going on with your life. You're trying, you're enjoying it, but you're neglecting what's important. Community, the family, the people, the church, you're neglecting it. 
Then God continues in verse 5. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your, your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with hose. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. God says, hey, hey, look. You're living your life, but you're putting my things on the back burner. But here's what's happening because of that. Because you're not prioritizing me above your needs. You're planning. You're putting in the work, but you've got nothing to show for it. You're eating, but man, it seems like you're never satisfied. You're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You've got clothes on, but you can't keep warm. You're investing in all the wrong places, and you're wondering why you're not getting a return on them. Come on. In other words, you're pouring your life, your energy, your time into things you think are going to fulfill you. And then you act surprised when it doesn't. Let's get some real talk. Y'all ready? Most of y'all have put your cards in the basket anyway, so I might as well go ahead. No take backs. Some of you, you come to church here week in and week out. Take, take, and you take. But it never seems like it's enough. Nothing is happening in your life. Nothing is changing in your life. Could it be it's time for you to actually get plugged in, begin giving, serving, giving your, of your time, of your gifts. And when you begin to do that, you'll see some things change in your life. Some of you battle with addiction and you think, I heard, man, Casey heard this this week, I can handle the addiction part on my own. You know what that is? That's pride. And you've battled addiction for so long, you keep saying, I'll have it. But, but you refuse to do the work to come to CR, get accountability. Some of you, your marriage is blah. Just boring. I mean, you bring home a paycheck, you cook, you clean the house, try to help with your kids, but it seems like nothing is changing and you're always left wanting more with your marriage. Maybe it's time to invest in that marriage. Get, go to counseling. Men, most of the time, this has happened once in Denise's and our time of counseling. Only once has a man ever approached us about marriage counseling. It's to the women. And I told the guy, I said, you need to, I told the guy's wife, I said, you need to realize when the guy comes to me, that means he's wanting this marriage healed. Men, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to take her out on a date. Besides, somewhere you drive through. Come on, ladies. Oh, ladies, I, listen. Don't get mad at me. Maybe it's time to swap those baggy sweatpants in. For something you used to wear when you were trying to attract that man. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Invest. Some of you, oh man, listen. Some of you, you're living beyond your means. You're living, and because of that, you're living paycheck to paycheck. You've got a pretty good job, but you keep putting money, you keep getting money, but it goes out faster than what you've got it in. Maybe the problem is that you need to begin trusting God first with your money instead of you. Oh, man, that's, it's getting better and better. Why? Because we need to surrender our story to his 
story. Let's go to verse 9. Some of y'all are relieved. Ah. God says, you hope for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Who blew it away? Who? God. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord. Well, all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Then he says this. This is so sad to me, Tim. It's because of you that the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth produces no crops. It's because of you. It's because of you there's no crops, there's no harvest. Real quick, do you remember in John 4 when Jesus encounters the woman at the well? His disciples have gone off to get something. He has this conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, when the disciples come back with the food, they can't believe that Jesus is talking with a woman, much less the Samaritan woman. And then she leaves, and they're like, hey, uh, that neither one of them want to confront Jesus. So they're like, uh, hey, Jesus, you want some food? And Jesus says, hey, hey, here's, here, here's what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, bring it to completion. Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. Their hearts are like the vast fields of ripened grain ready for harvest. He says, look, the people are ready. The harvest is ready. But you're trying to say, hey, well, let's wait another four months. But then in Haggai, God looks at you and says, it's because of you there are no crops. It makes me wonder if the state of the church in general, the, the, the church, where are we at in those two aspects? Are we on the aspects where God is saying, hey, it's because of you, I'm not sending a harvest because if I was to, it would rot in the field. Or are we at the place where Jesus says, guys, look, the people are coming. The north, south, east, west, Megs, Ray, McMahon, Rome. I mean, they're coming in from every direction because the harvest fields are ready. Get to work. Where would we fall on that spectrum? My real concern is that we become so used to the new normal that God may be withholding the rain because we're too busy involved in our own stories to get in on his story. Man. And hey, God, God looks at these people and says, okay, guys, enough's enough. It's time for you to wake up. It's time to get to work. This shook Zerubbabel, and here's what it says. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and, and Yahush, whatever their names are, the high priest. <laughs> Listen, I'm too tired. I ain't got enough caffeine in me. I started to go film real fast, and I hope y'all wouldn't notice. Um, the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people. So he's taught as Zerubbabel. Anybody remember who he is? The governor? Then you've got Yeshua, uh, who, Yeshua, who is the high priest. And then he says, the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Get this. Then the Lord... Yeah, there we go. Then the Lord, then, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Check this out. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Josedach, whatever his name is, the high priest. 
What did he do? He sparked the enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. The whole remnant of God's people and they got to work on the house of God. Another translation says the Lord stirred up the spirit in them. The original word there, whether it's stirred up or enthusiastic, it means to rouse oneself. In fact, one Bible definition says this, to, as if to incite a riot within yourself. Since he began to incite a riot within them. And then it says, the Lord served the spirit. The word spirit there is the word ruah. Here's what it means, the wind, breath, mind, spirit of heaven and of God. To me, that's what today, the 38th anniversary of our church, is all about. It's not for us looking back and patting ourselves on the back for how much we've done. But it is time that we acknowledge what God has done, but in the same breath say, God, wake us up. It's signing right in us. Breathe into us, God. Breathe into us. Because why, Kelly? Because people are coming. The fields are ready. The harvest is ripe. And he needs people to get to work. Man, I was talking to a bunch of bikers. I'd, I'd say you another way. But what I'm feeling right now. Man, my prayer for this house. Breathe on us, wind of heaven. Now, God, breathe on us in a form where those people that say, well, Kelly, I'm just not that emotional. Where you just get a hold of them and all pride, all that stuff goes out the window. And they say, God, whatever it is, I'm here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Haggai 2 then opens up. There's only two books in Haggai. So, guys, I'm preaching on a whole book of the Bible today. And I'm, I'm almost done. Haggai 2 then opens up with God asking a, what I like to call a setup question. You know what those are? Men, when your wife says, hey, does this dress make me look fat? That's a setup question. There's a time to answer her question. And then there's a time to know you need to remain silent because anything you say, do, or any look you give can and will be used against you in the house. I'm not going to say what I thought. Uh, that's what God's doing. He's giving them a setup question. Verse 3 of Haggai 2. Does anyone remember this house? This temple? You remember its former glory. Its former splendor. Anybody remember when this place was on fire? Anybody remember a time when you were on fire? Anybody remember a time when you were passionate about God? Come on. He says, you remember a time when this, this was full of people, the broken, the hopeless, coming and finding wholeness and hope. You remember that? And he says, well, how in comparison does it look to you now? Because compared to then, it must look like nothing at all. Here's what's happened. God knows this. The people have settled into this comparison game. Where they're thinking, they're remembering Solomon's temple. They're remembering the majesty of it. And they're comparing it to where they are right now. And with this rubble and everything going on, they're like, man, it was so good back then. But look at it now. This is so hard. It's so tough. And they were comparing their current state of affairs to their idealized memories that they had about the past. And they became stuck, or in the words of you too, they became stuck in a moment that they couldn't get out of 
because they were just stuck. Remember Andy Stanley said, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. When you remember what it used to be like more than you remember, hey, man, it's going to be great, even better. The end is near. And he said, do you remember that? But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel, the governor. Be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong. What I love about this is this. He doesn't just stop there. The church, see, the church world is bad about assuming that when God speaks these kind of words, it's only to the pastors, the elders, those in leadership. Come on. And then we're going to get our words from them. No, he said, be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work from with you. See, I know we love a sensitive God. I know the God we want to show up and we're in their problems. Is the God, oh, you, you will be, baby. Are you doing okay? You going to get through this. We, that's the God we want to show up. But there are times that God needs to show up and speak truth to us and say, listen, get your butt up off, out of bed. It's time to get to work. Be strong. That's it. What's he doing? He's reminding the people, you're strong. Now get up and act like it. Be strong. Be strong. And he goes on. He says this. Then he says, my spirit remains among you. It's still there. The same spirit that was with Moses, your ancestors, all of It's still here. It's the same spirit. Just as I promised when I came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. Stir yourself. I know the task ahead looks hard. But focus on what you can do right now. In other words, do what you can do. And then expect God to do what only God can do. Focus on what you can do right now. And God will do what only he can do. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. God's whole man says. Remember, he had withheld the dew. He withheld the rain. When, when, when they wake up and get back to work, in just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver's mine, the gold is mine. In other words, quit worrying about what it's going to cost because it's all mine. The silver, the gold, it's all mine. So quit trying to think it's too big. No, I own it all. I own it all. See, when it comes to God's glory for your life or for this church, the question is not, how are we going to pull this off? Here's the question. What does God want to accomplish? What does God want done? Because if that's what God wants done, as long as I get to work, it's going to be done. See, here's the thing, guys. Man, I'm wrapping this up. Once we get clarity on the what, it's God's responsibility to come through with the how. See what God is saying to these. And guys, y'all have heard us talking about breaking ground. We're about to do it. And here's the thing. What God is saying to them, that day he's saying to us today, this is not about your fundraising skills. It's not about your business savvy. It's about me trying to get inside of you and do a work. And if you will surrender to me, I'll do the work. I'm telling you, this is what God wants. He wants to breathe, breathe into and through us.
Hey, let, let's move on quickly. Verse 9. Guys, get this. The future glory of what? Of what? Will be what? Then it's past. Glory. Come on. The Lord of heaven's on. And in what? I will bring peace. Hmm. Can I, can I give you my trans? No, I'm not there yet. Back up. Back up. I don't even know where I'm at now. The future glory of this house will be greater than the past glory. You know what God's saying? The past was good, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Listen, that, that's a word for somebody here today. Because you quit, he said, quit living in your past. Quit living in your past addictions, your past failures, your past divorces, your past sins. Because your future story, if you'll surrender it to his, will be a greater story than you can ever imagine. That's God's promise. That's a promise for a marriage here today, a failed marriage, a relationship, a ministry, an addiction for someone's future. And that's the promise for Watch Bar Community Church. It's going to be greater. Here's what I think is awesome. And my brother, Casey, actually came up with this. I'm going to give you a little credit. The one who had no origin gave us an origin. God, who has always been, will always be, gave us our origin story. But listen, he didn't intend for you to stay right there. Are you hearing me? When Haggai opens up, the Israelites, God's children, they had grown content with remembering their origin story. Where they were, what it looked like when they should have been celebrated, those past victories, but also creating new benchmarks for the future. Here's the thing. The most dangerous part of an origin is never leaving it. Let me explain. For us to just continually think about the 38 years that God has given us and the great people here and what was God birth, the origin that he gave mom and dad. Listen, we can, if we just continue to live there and not grow, not change, not advance, we will die. We will die. Samuel Ullman said this, nobody grows old merely by living a number of years. We grow old by deserting our ideas. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. If I can get Bob or Bob to come on up. I want to end with showing you what I not believe, what I know is God's dream and vision for this house. For this house. For the people in this house. And I'm going to read you. I just read you Haggai uh, uh, 2.9, but I want to read you the message the way it says it, because I believe this speaks clearly here. And if you want to know what we're about, watch this. The temple is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place in which I will hand out wholeness and holiness decrees the God of angel armies. That's who we are. Let me paraphrase it a little more. Watch Bar Community Church is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place where God hands out wholeness and holiness. That's who we are. Stand to your feet with me.
That's what the vision is for this house. 